0: right, Emmanuel. I thought you were, we were done praising, but we're just getting started at 1115, so it's time to get up on your feet, because we serve a big God. So stand up, get praise up, and we got t-shirts for you. That's right, if you stand up and cheer. games, he's the Captain America to our Avengers, he's the Gandalf to our fellowship, that's right, he's our head coach, Danny Anderson!
1: I'm pretty sure he just called me uh, the Katniss to our Hunger Games, and uh, I don't think that that was a compliment, Um, but I did not write that script. They wrote that on their own, but I am excited to be here. Are you excited to be at Rally Weekend this weekend? Yeah. Well, I am so pumped. Uh, If you're a guest with us here today, please fill out that little information card in your handout there. As Robin said, you can go right outside in the foyer and get a a brand new EC Life, EC Vision t-shirt. You're not gonna wanna miss out on that, so uh, be sure to do that. But uh, you know, the word rally, I think we're all kind of familiar with the word rally, especially if you played baseball growing up. Any baseball players? Growing up, Major League Baseball, anybody play baseball out there? Um yeah and, and my, my family was a baseball family, and we grew up on the Diamonds, we grew up playing baseball, we watched the Yankees every single night that they were on, and so my two brothers played baseball, they went on to play Division I baseball, they were trying to get drafted and all this, fell a little bit short, but they were really good baseball players, and uh, our Little League that we played baseball at uh, won the, the Little League World Series in 1968, okay, so this was like a really intense baseball town, baseball Little League. In fact, when you went onto the campus, we had, I don't know, six or Seven Diamonds, and as soon as you walked in, the sign said, Home of the Little League World Champions, 1968. So as a little kid, you walk in, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I am something, you're part of something incredible. And so we were actually trying to get to Williamsburg and trying to win, you know, the World Series, and we had all these plans and dreams. And so baseball was a big part of our life growing up. And so if you've played a little little league, little league baseball, if you've heard about it, you watched it on ESPN or something like that, you know there's a time in the game where your team is down and you need to do what? You need to rally. It's a huge part of baseball. And so what happens as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid, you take your hat, you turn it inside out, and you put it on your head. What's that called? Yeah, you all know what it's called. It's called a rally cap. And then you put those rally caps on and then everybody gets off the bench, gets on the fence. They start shaking the fence. They start yelling really loud. They start yelling profanities at the pitcher, right? No, you didn't do that. You were too nice. We did. We said we called. Them. Sorry, mom. My, uh, you know, but, but my mom was in the stand screaming. The parents were screaming. The faith, the fence is shaking. And all of a sudden this Poor 12-year-old kid is throwing pass balls, and you know, and we're getting hits, and we're scoring runs, and we rally, and we end up winning the game. How awesome was that back in those days, right? That's a rally. If you're taking notes today, a rally is simply a comeback. That's what it is. You're down, and your team has a surge, and there's a comeback, and you end up winning the game. Do you remember two years ago in the first game of the playoffs, where the Colts played the Chiefs, the Cincinnati Chiefs, Cincinnati Chiefs? There you go. The Kansas City Chiefs shows you how much of a fan I am. But I do remember where they were down 28 points. The score was 38-10. Do you remember that? And uh, going into the third quarter, I think there was nine minutes left. Andrew Luck had thrown four interceptions. It was, it was, it, they were just playing terrible, and, or the Chiefs defense was playing really great. Not sure which one, mate it was both. But all of a sudden, they scored 28 unanswered points. Do you remember this? And then Andrew Luck got really lucky when he recovered that brown fumble, remember, on the goal line, and he just grabbed it and dove in, and they ended up winning the game, 45 to 44. Wasn't that an incredible comeback? That's what I'm talking about when I say rally. Your team is kind of down, back against the wall, there's a surge, there's a comeback, and in the end, you win the game. You know, organizations can rally, the stock market can rally, people, individual people can rally in their life, they can come back after some setbacks, but guess what, churches can rally as well. In fact, the first church that was ever created, the first New Testament church, actually started with a rally, did you know that? if you 're a Bible reader, maybe you know that or maybe you overlooked it i 'm not sure, but the, the story of the first church is incredible. You know Jesus was, had this group of guys around him that he began teaching at the, you know at around the age of 30, thirty years old or so, and he started teaching them things about god 's kingdom and giving them God's instruction, and one thing led to another, and, and, and crowds of people started to kind of follow Jesus as he would get on a, on a hillside, and he would start to teach these things. You know, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, the famous sermon that Jesus preached. It's recorded there for us. Thousands of people would gather, and for three years, he would teach, and he would heal. He would teach, and he would heal, and multitudes of people would follow him, and it was this incredible movement, and people believed, the Jewish people in particular, they believed that Jesus was gonna overthrow the Roman government and set all the, the Jewish people free from the tyranny of the Roman government. And that was kind of their hope, that he was the Messiah and he was gonna be this political figure and he was gonna set them free. And it was all going really well. And many, many people were following him and he was doing all these miraculous signs, like healing people who couldn't see, people who couldn't hear, people who had leprosy were getting their you know their bodies healed. And he was raising people from the dead. It was incredible. And then all all of a sudden, everything comes to a screeching halt, and they suffer a massive defeat. It happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was praying. He tried to tell his guys that this was going to happen. No, he told them it was going to happen. They just didn't understand. He kept telling them, guys, in a couple of days, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be taken away. I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to rise again, And he would tell them this, and he would tell them this, and it would fall on deaf ears. Well, sure enough, the night came, and Jesus was betrayed by who? His name was what? Judas, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And Judas has got all these cronies with him, you know, swords and clubs and lanterns, like Jesus was some type of military threat and they arrest Jesus, and Peter, because Peter was so passionate, don't you love Peter sometimes, he just kind of was so impulsive, and he would say things and do things, he takes out his sword, and he slices off a guy's ear, I happen to think he was aiming for the center of his head, but he was just a bad shot, <laughs> I can't prove that, he slices the dude's ear off, falls on the ground, Jesus picks up the ear, he puts it back on his head, and he, and he just, a little surgery, just Wouldn't it have been awesome to see that happen, right? Holy cow, right? Anyway, after that little miracle, they still take him away. They arrest him. And all of his men standing there, they followed him for three years. They saw him do amazing things. Now he's walking away in chains. And watch what happens. Mark records it this way, Mark chapter 14. Then, after Jesus is walking away in chains, the disciples, say it with me. They deserted him. If there was ever a time where Jesus needed his men, if there was ever a time where Jesus needed his friends, it was in this moment, and they ran away. Three years of awesomeness, miracles, pearls of wisdom coming out of Christ's mouth, day in and day out, and all of a sudden, their hopes and their dreams are destroyed. Their bubble is burst, and they run away with their tails between their legs. You talk about having a setback. They're confused, they're full of fear, they think what's gonna happen to him is gonna happen to them, and so they get out of there. Jesus goes to trial, a couple days later he's crucified on a cross for the sins of the entire, entire human race. And the disciples watch it all happen. They are crushed. Their hopes and dreams are annihilated. They retreat back, and they start to hide out. They don't know what to do. Three days later, two of the followers of Jesus, both of their names were Mary, they go to the tomb when they want to bring some spices and try to preserve the smell, a little bit of, of the decomposing body. I know that's gross, but that's what they were doing. They get to the tomb where Jesus' body was, and the stone is rolled away. And when they go in there, there's an angel inside the, the tomb, and, and the angel says, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is, say it with me. Risen, He's alive. And the women are like, oh my God, what, what does this mean? I don't understand. And they're confused. And, and the angel tells the, the two ladies to go back and tell the disciples. So they run back and they tell the disciples. And the disciples are so down. They're so discouraged. Their hopes and dreams have been dashed that when the ladies start talking about how Jesus has risen from the dead and the angel said such and such, they say, you're crazy. Get out of here. Shut up. Now, it doesn't actually say that, but that's what they said. <laughs> It it says that they thought they were making it up, that that it was a story that was not true. And so that night, the same day, that night, John records this. Watch these events. That Sunday evening, after the, the morning, the ladies went to the tomb. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Now, why were they behind locked doors? Why were they there? Remember, their leader has been killed. Their hopes and their dreams are gone. The past three years are for nothing. And so they're locked behind closed doors because they were afraid that the Jewish leaders would do the same thing to them that they did to Jesus. And they didn't want to be arrested, and they didn't want to be crucified, so they're hiding out behind locked doors. Afraid, fearful. Watch what happens next. Jesus does what only Jesus can do. Remember, they're behind locked doors. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. (laughs) How did he get in the room? How did he get in the room? He walked right through the walls. Isn't that cool? One day we're going to be able to see that. He's going to do something like that in heaven. Those of us who are going to be there, we're going to be like, oh, do you see that? (laughs) Anyway, um, they got to see it there. He walks right into the room, and he says, peace be with you. Why? Because they had their hearts filled with fear, anxiety, hopelessness. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my peace in you. You guys need to lift up your head. There's some exciting things about to happen. There's about to be a rally. There's about to be a shift in momentum. Watch what he does next. It says, and he spoke to them. He showed them his hands. He showed them the wounds in his side, and they were filled with what? Say it with me. Joy, Their fear, their, 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 their hopelessness was now replaced by joy when they saw the Lord. What the two women had said was true, and it was now time to rally. And so Jesus spends 40 days with them, and he teaches them all these different things about the kingdom, and then he gives them very specific instructions. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to hang out there and wait for my spirit to come down. And here's what's going to happen. He's going to empower you. He's going to give you boldness to go out and preach this message of forgiveness of sins that I died on the cross for the entire sins of the world and that all who want forgiveness of sins can have it in me and so they're like okay 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 and so they one day in Jerusalem he's telling them some of this stuff and all of a sudden boof, he goes up into heaven you can read about it in Acts chapter 1 and everybody's staring up into heaven he ascends back up into heaven and then shortly after that, sure enough, as they're hanging out in prayer, the Holy Spirit comes down. It's called the Day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, and some incredibly strange things happen. That The 12 apostles start to speak in these, these languages, and at this point, there's so much momentum, there's been a shift, that literally thousands of people have come to see what's going on. And so there's this incredible moment where the Holy Spirit comes down, and the apostles start to speak in different languages, and oddly enough, all of the crowd were, were people from all different areas and all different regions of all different languages, and the apostles were speaking their languages. And so they're thinking to themselves, how are these men of Galilee, how are they speaking the language that I speak? And so of course, you know, it was the Holy Spirit doing these miraculous things. But some of the people there weren't so excited. Some of the people hanging out, there's always a fringe. You know what I'm talking about? There's always, there's always some people there that are up to no good. There's always some people around that really are not that interested, or, or they're critical, or whatever, right? and so they're there, and they start saying, ah, these guys are just smashed. <laughs> A little bit too much moonshine. They're drunk, and when Peter hears them say that, he steps up, and he delivers the sermon of all sermons. Well, that would be the Sermon on the Mount, but he, belie- he delivers the second best sermon ever given in the church, and he starts preaching about how these guys are not drunk. This is what's really going on. He starts quoting from the prophet Joel. He starts quoting David from the Old Testament. He tells people to repent and turn and put their faith in Christ and save their souls from the crooked generation. Watch what happens in verse 41. You talk about a rally. Those who believe what Peter said, this incredible sermon he was preaching, were baptized and added to the church that day. How many? 3,000 people in one day. You talk about a rally. The first church started with a huge rally. They were down. They were out. Their hopes and dreams were dashed. Christ raises from the dead. He appears to them, teaches them for 40 days, rises up into the sky. The Holy Spirit comes down and 3,000 people are added to the church in one single day. Wow. Is anybody excited about what God has done? I mean, come on. (laughs) Here's the question, here's the question. Why should we rally today? The first church started with a rally, but what about us? Why are, what, what are we doing here? Aren't we here to rally again? Aren't we, haven't we been put here on this earth to see God do miraculous work through us? Not just Peter, not just the first church, but through us, through this church? I would say, yes so, yes, yes sir, yes ma'am. That's what I would say, why? Why should we rally? Because people everywhere need Jesus. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed the people at work need Jesus? (laughs) Come on, the people you rub shoulders with. Hey, have you noticed that somebody in your home needs Jesus? (laughs) Have you thought that to yourself? It's like, man, you you just need some Jesus. Maybe it's a brother, sister, mother, father. I don't know who it is. People need Jesus. They are desperate. They need life. They need eternal life. Listen to what John said in John chapter 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. He says this, this is what God has testified. In, In other words, this is the story. You want to know what God's message is? It's very clear. This is the message. Ready? He has given us eternal, say it with me, eternal life. And this life is where? Where is it found? In Jesus. That's where it's found. People need eternal life, and it's found in Jesus. He continues. Watch this. When whoever has the Son has what? Life. And whoever does not have the Son, the God's Son, does not have life. It's very simple. People need life. Whoever has Jesus has eternal life. Whoever does not have Jesus does not have life. Here's what's interesting. This word life is not the word life that we think it is. There's two words in the Greek that John could have used. Bios, which which is describing physical life. The The air in your lungs, the blood that's going through your veins. Once the air leaves, once your heart stops, once the brain goes dead, you cease from bios. That's one sort of life. There's also something called Zoe. Zoe life is the life John is talking about here. It's life from above. It's spiritual life. When Jesus said a person must be born again, he was talking about spiritual life. You're born once physically from your mother's womb, but then you also need spiritual life. You need to be reborn, born again. And Jesus said, unless you're born again from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This life is found in Jesus. You know people who do not have Zoe. Am I right? Raise your hand if you know somebody who doesn't have Zoe. Well, guess why the church is here, folks? Guess why the church is still here? Guess why Christ hasn't come back yet? It's because we are called to reach those people who do not have Zoe life. Now I can continue to quote verses to you and show you what the Bible says about that, but there's no better way to show you what I'm talking about than to introduce you to somebody named Morris Lucas. Morris Lucas was a man just going through life thinking everything's fine, looking for life in all the wrong places, and then one day his son Aaron Lucas, who found life at this church, said, Dad, you need to come, you need to listen, there's a unique message, I'm telling you, there's something here you need in your life, and I want you to hear Morris' Morris, Morris' story from his own lips.
2: My life before Christ was, um, I actually thought I was okay. I thought I was living a pretty good life and um, I thought money could answer things, answer questions, all the things I needed and it wasn't really so. I mean, um, I I thought it was okay to get drunk, stay drunk sometimes, uh, get arrested and it was okay. You know, you can cover up things. Uh, On the other side of things, I mean, I, I worked regularly, did all the things I was supposed to do. I donated, coached, uh, spent a lot of time with family and friends, but um, it it just never seemed to be enough. I wound up coming to Emmanuel through my son Aaron. Aaron, um, something was going on with him. Actually, I thought he was a little strange. He uh, he just had this peace about him that everything was gonna be okay, and Rosemeyer and I really thought that he wasn't okay at the time because he uh, everything was just so peaceful. It's going could be okay, Dad. And he was going to church and going to the gym and had changed his friends. Uh, everything had changed, and Aaron invited me to church and I didn't come. And then he invited me to church and I didn't come. And he kept inviting me, and kept inviting me, and and I think I visited church, and then he invited me to come to small group with him, and what turned out to be some incredible guys—they're uh, my five that I'd like to be like. But um, I kept coming and kept coming, and it, it turned into something special that I—it's it—that's so important to me now. I think it was about a year and a half ago that I got baptized, and I, I put it off because I I felt like, man, did I have to live right? (laughs) But uh, I I, I prayed about it a lot. I talked to Aaron, I talked to Danny, and uh, I I don't have to be perfect. I just need to believe and know where everything's coming from and and trust that Christ has me. It's really important to invite people to church, to invite them to come in and know Christ. God has called us to do that. I mean, he's charged us with being his disciples. And for that reason, I don't even know any other reason now that I was put on earth other than to share that message. If Aaron would have given up on me, then um, I wouldn't be here today. I was actually that friend, father, uh, that you wouldn't want to invite. I actually kept people out doing things they shouldn't do and encouraged bad behavior. Um, I was that person that would have said, that did, did say, you know, the, if I come in, the, the place is gonna catch on fire, you know, because I, I wasn't the one you wanted to bring to church. Um, I didn't think that much of myself and didn't know that I could have a relationship with Christ. And, and I found that here at Emmanuel. I would say Jesus has changed my life because He's given me a total peace. Uh, the grace that I feel the forgiveness that I feel, the fact that I know that um, Christ is with me, no matter where, no matter where I go, I know that um, I'm safe, I'm secure, I have an eternity with Him.
1: I had the privilege of being up close and personal to Morris's story, uh, be in a small group with Morris, and watch the transformation happen, and it was um, everything that I pray for, everything that I hope for, it's what Christ came for, to give someone who only has bios, Zoe, and that's what the church is here for. Let me describe a little bit more of what Zoe looks like. If you'd asked me, hey, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? You know, uh, it would probably be this one right here. It's it's a, it's the mission statement that Jesus gave us for His own life. In John 10, 10, the second half of the verse, He says, "I came so that they can have real and eternal life." He uses the same word John uses in First John five eleven and twelve. Zoe, I, so I came that they might have Zoe, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I want to talk to you a little bit about what that means more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. It's, it, what it doesn't mean is millions of dollars and the home of your dreams and the sports car you've always wanted or to be able to shop at whatever store you want to shop at or get whatever purse you want to get. Ladies, I know you love purses or, and shoes. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the more and better life Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about something else. He's talking about a life invaded, taken over by, full of love. Not worldly love, like we love chocolate cake. You know what I'm saying? Or pizza, or the Colts, because we're all we're gonna go watch the game this afternoon, and we love football or whatever. Not, not that type of love. I'm talking about unconditional love, which is called agape love. When agape love fills the heart of a person, something incredible happens. And I can only describe it from my own experience and from what I've seen in other people's lives. Let me, try to, let me try to articulate it this way. When unconditional love enters the soul of a person, what happens is I begin to understand that regardless of all of my sin, regardless of all of my failures, regardless of every evil thing I've ever done, lie, deceit, my pride, my ego, my anger. That God sees all of that and his position towards me is still love. If you can sit in that truth, if you can bathe in that truth, what ends up happening inside is that you begin to become tender towards yourself. And the agape love of God chases away self-hatred, self-condemnation or any trace of of despising yourself or beating yourself up? Aren't we so good at beating ourselves up? Well, when the the agape love flows in, I begin to see myself as God sees me, if I truly believe he sees me that way. And I begin to grow tender with myself. I don't make excuses for sin. I'm I'm not suggesting that whatsoever. I just begin to grow tender. Now, what happens next is amazing. If I can understand and see myself through the lens that God sees me, Agape love, unconditional love. What happens to the way I begin to see other people? What about you? What about my wife? What about my children? Now I can begin to reach out in tenderness to them. Do you see how that works? If I've been shown this amazing grace, this love of God that, 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 that looks past all my faults through Christ Jesus, now I can begin to be patient and tender towards other people and that that transforms a person. Now that person, instead of being a self-righteous, judgmental, difficult-to-be-around, and know anybody like that? I'm still like that sometimes. (laughs) It's still a work in progress. You begin to become a person that that people want to be around. That's that's the love of God. That's Zoe. That's what happens. Let's talk about faith for, for a second. So we got love. What about faith? Can you imagine having a life dominated and pervaded by a deep conviction that no matter what's going on in the world cancer, you know, people getting their heads cut off in different countries, or political crisis, a financial crisis, a personal sickness, that no matter what's going on in this world, you have a rock solid conviction that God is in control and that it's gonna be okay. Can you imagine going through life that way? Here's what would happen. The end result would be, instead of having anxiety attacks or being dominated by fear and worry all the time and what's gonna happen and you gotta start popping pills to kinda of relax yourself because you're so anxious, right? Instead of all that, your life is filled with peace. Why? Because you trust in God. You have faith that all things do, in fact, work together for the good of those who love God. You see that? That's Zoe. That's a quality of life. That's not having a big house and lots of money and and, and whatever you want to do. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a life filled with love, dominated by faith. Let's talk about hope, for example. For example hope. See, I'm describing Zoe life so that you'll begin to desire it and reach out for it. See, if you don't know what it's like, you won't desire it. Let's talk about hope for a second. What is hope? Isn't hope a belief and a conviction that things are going to be better in the future? Come on, talk to me. Isn't that what hope is? right? And when you have hope, and when hope is alive, that's why coaches always tell their players, keep hope alive, right? So that we have energy. We begin to have enthusiasm. We begin to live, and we begin, we have the energy to get out of bed. Why? Because we have hope that in the future things are going to be better. What happens when we lose hope? You've had somebody in your life lose hope, haven't you? They give up. They give in their attitude goes into the, into the gutter, right? They get discouraged. They get down. They get bitter. The glass is always half empty. Sometimes they even commit suicide. All because they lost hope. See, hope, come. where's it come from? It comes from the person, the God of, it comes from the person of Jesus Christ, who is the God of all hope. And he, what he says to you and I is that no matter what's going on right now, the future is going to be better. If not in this life, hear me closely, if not in this life, definitely in the next. Last night, I was having a conversation before the service with a friend of mine who's dying of cancer, He's on our congregation. He's a young man. He's dying way too early. His cancer is incurable. His chemotherapy is only putting it to sleep for now, but it only lasts for eight months, and his eight months are up. So he's gonna die. And I'm having a conversation with him out here in the foyer last night, and he looks at me, and he's just smiling. He says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I was ready to go months ago. And I could cry about that right now because that's hope. Not hope in this life, but hope in the next. And I said to him, I said, can you imagine if you didn't have that hope that your body was gonna be restored and that you're gonna be in heaven one day? He said, I don't know what I would do. Hope, love, faith, joy, peace. That's the life better than we've ever dreamed of. That's what's at stake here. That's the offer of Christianity. It's not religion. It's not church buildings. It's not song with cool smoke and lights and free coffee. That's all cool. I love it. Some of you don't. (laughs) But that's not the offer. The offer is life. Life to the full, life to the max. Now, when I sit back and I think about that, as I experience it, I think, why don't more people experience it? Like, why aren't more people filled with joy and hope and peace and, and, and living this, this, this awesome life? Like, why is that? And here's the reason. We have an enemy who is dead set against you experiencing this abundant life. His name is Satan, and he's not going to stand by and say, oh, Emmanuel Church, they want a rally. Oh, that's good for them. Let me support them. Let me fund that. Now, he's not going to do that. He's going to say, oh, oh, okay, okay. Someone's on the move. There's a rally in the church. Let's go, boys. And he's going to grab his demonic forces, and he is going to fight against this church or any church that wants to offer abundant life. It is, it is a war. See, this is, this is the second half of the verse. What I didn't show you is the first half of the verse, letter A, 10, 10, A. Watch this, this is what what Jesus has said about Satan. The thief's purpose is to, say it with me, steal and kill and destroy. The devil is not messing around. He wants to steal away life. He wants to destroy that life, snuff it out, and kill it. He doesn't want you to be born again. He doesn't want you to experience joy and peace and and all of these things that come from Christ. So he declares an all-out war. Now, how does he fight his war? What are his weapons? What are his guns? I know this is getting a little bit dark. It's getting a little bit serious. We don't talk about Satan a lot here, okay? We're not one of those churches, okay? But we do have to talk about him today because this this is the fight we find ourselves in. How does he fight against us? Well, he lies. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter eight about Satan. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. What did he do in the Garden of Eden? The first thing he did in the Garden of Eden was lie to who? Eve. He said, God didn't say if you'd eat that, you'll die. He just knows that if you eat it, you'll be like him. Translation, God's holding out on you. He's not giving you everything. I can make you happy. Don't follow him, right? He's a liar. When he lies, it co- it's consistent with his character, for he is what? What is he? He's a liar, and he's the father of all lies. When you tell a lie, who's working in your life? Come on, I know that's hard to admit. When you lie, and I have lied, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's just the condition of the human race. Who's acting in my life? Who's influencing me when I tell a lie? It's the father of lies, Satan himself. What is he lying about to you and to me? You know what he's saying? He's he's lying to you about the source of abundant life. He's telling you it's found in money. He's telling you it's found in the opposite sex or the same sex. He's telling you it's found in, in in another promotion or a new car or a new house. He's lying to you about the source of life. And we're buying it. By the thousands and by the millions. There's a pastor in New Orleans, just to give you an example of what I'm talking about here. His name was Pastor John. He was a seminary professor and a pastor of a church in New Orleans. And he was lied to by Satan. One day, Satan rolled into his life and said, Hey, you know, you got a lot of pressure on your plate, professor, church, a people have problems, you know. I know you're looking for happiness. I think you can find it on this website called Ashley Madison. What you do is you go in there and you sign up and you have an affair and you you have a little fun on the side, that'll make you happy. So he did. Pastor John signed up to have an affair. Well, if you know the story, if you've been following the news, hackers got into their system and Ashley Madison's tagline was, hey, you'll never get caught. Lie from where? Where did that lie come from? The pit of hell. (laughs) That's where that came from. Don't ever believe. If you ever hear someone say, you won't get caught, it's Satan's little voice in your head. So he bit it. He took it. He signed up. The hackers got in. They published a list of 32 million names. Six days later, he committed suicide. Why? Because he listened to Satan again. See, after Satan tricks you into doing what he wants, then he gets on you with condemnation, and he says, you're terrible, you're awful, you shouldn't be a pastor, no one will forgive you, your church is gonna fire you, your wife will never forgive you, You're, you're despicable, you're shameful, you should just end your life. And he believed the lie, and he's dead. What's at stake here? Here's what we think. Oh, is it Sunday? You want to go to church? Oh, I think it's go to church. That pastor's pretty funny. They got good music. Free cup of coffee. We think that's what's at stake. That's not what's at stake here. You know what's at stake? Your life. Because Satan wants to kill and steal and destroy what? Your very life. Your very family. My very family. Do you not think that Satan lies to me? and tells me, why don't you just go over here and do this? No, he does. Do you not think that that could happen to me as your pastor or any of the staff members here at this church or you yourself? Do you not think that can happen to you? Where some day Danny Anderson's name ends up on some list that shouldn't be on because I believed a lie. Or you did. (laughs) You got another thing coming. This is war. He's not gonna stand by and say, hey, abundant life. This church wants to do something great, help people find joy and peace. No. He comes out firing with lies. And if I'm not on my game and you're not on your game, it ain't going to work. There'll be no rally. So, what do we do? Like some of you are like feeling like really sad right now and depressed, <laughs> I don't wanna leave you that way, okay? Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, amen, anybody with me? Let me say that again, let me say it. Here, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, okay? He, that's Jesus talking about his spirit, that's Jesus talking about him, okay? We don't have to give in to temptation or fall, okay? We have the power of God inside of us if we're believers. So how are we going to rally? How is this going to look? Two things, number one, we're gonna pray for it. We're going to pray for the rally. We're going to pray for people to open up their hearts, people in your life who have closed their hearts to Jesus Christ and the church and the message of the gospel. Listen to what Paul said in, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about how to fight spiritual warfare. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. We're to be praying. Why? Because prayer opens up. How did my father, after 30 years, come to Christ? How did that happen? My mother's prayers for 30 years, my prayers. Some of you prayed for my father. Finally, three years ago this month, he opened up his heart and put his faith in Jesus Christ. How did that happen? That happened through prayer. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it, prayer is a powerful thing. We have to start praying for the names on these stages, the people in our lives who don't know Christ. And then number two, we have to make this commitment right here, I'm going to church, who's coming with me? Listen, you're not gonna get your friends and your family members and coworkers to come to church if you're not here. (laughs) Does that make sense? I mean, I, I know that that's not a trick, you know, I'm not trying to trick anybody here, it's just the way it goes. You can't say, hey, will you come to church with me and then you stay home right? You have to say, hey, will you come to church with me? I'll meet you by the coffee bar, and then we'll sit together. But unfortunately, about half of you decide not to come to church about every week. (laughs) Imagine if I did that, woke up on a Sunday morning. I don't know. I mean, Robin could probably fill in for me. She's pretty good with a mic, right? Step up there and lady preacher for the weekend. I mean, can you imagine if it's half the time I decided to check out? But that's that's what some of you do. About half of you do that. I don't know the weather or your kids or you got a runny nose. I don't know what excuse you have. But your your friends aren't coming with you if you don't show up. So I'm asking you to commit to say uh, Monday morning. Okay, this weekend I'm going to church, and then part two. Who's coming with me? Is it my boss? Is it the lady in the next cubicle? Is it my neighbor next door across the street? Like, who's coming with me? Who needs Zoe life? There's people in your life everywhere that don't have this life. There are Morris Lucases everywhere at the gym, at Starbucks, at Target, in your neighborhood. They're just going through life. They don't even know they need. Christ. And then there's you. There's you who hear my voice, the, the best voice I could give you, the best words I can give you. And now God has placed you in their life with instructions to bring them to an environment where they can hear the gospel. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm going to church. Who's coming with me? In fact, why don't we just say that together really quick. If you're in on this, let's say it together. I'm going to church, who's coming with me? Now say it with conviction, because some of you are just mumbling. (laughs) Ready, let's do it again. I'm going to church, who's coming with me? Listen, if we did that, if we prayed for those folks and brought them with us, what do you think is going to happen? Come on, how could there not be a massive move of God? How could there not be a rally like we've never seen before? Listen, they'll, they'll, they'll be, we'll have to say to the people outside, the fire marshal will have to come in here and say, you can't have any more people in your service. It's a fire hazard. They have to go to a different church. You know what we'll say at that point? We'll do another service. We'll do a one o'clock. <laughs> My challenge to you is so simple. Pray for those people in your life and bring them. There's a seat next to you for them to hear the message of love, the message of grace that transforms a hard heart like Morris Lucas's heart. A guy who was leading people astray in the wrong direction and now he's leading people to Christ in his life. Let me close by just acknowledging today that there are some of you here that this has actually happened to you in this moment. Somebody decided, man, I'm gonna go to church this weekend and I'm gonna bring you. Will you come with me? And guess what? You, you are the who. Not the group the who from years ago, not them. You're the who. You're the person. You're sitting here today because a friend of yours dragged you. You wanted a free t-shirt. I don't know. But you're here because God wanted you to hear the the next few words that come out of my mouth. Please listen carefully. You are incredibly loved by God. You are precious in his sight. And he proved that love to you by dying on a cross. If you ever want to know how God feels about you, just look at the cross. You know what it says? I love you. I paid all your debts. I died for your sin would you just come to me for life would you put your faith in me and in this very holy moment right now you can do that you can find eternal life after you die but right now you can find joy and peace and love and faith and power for this life before you go to heaven if you want that right now i'm gonna i'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you can pray to receive christ right now as your savior you can acknowledge that you're a sinful person and that he died for your cross on he died for your sin on the cross and ask him to forgive you and wash away your sin. If you'd like to do that right now, just close your eyes and bow your head and say this simple prayer. With what little faith you have in your heart, say this. Dear Jesus, I want abundant life. More and better life than I've ever dreamed of. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Please wash me, cleanse me, be my Savior. And help me from this day forward to live my life in a way that pleases you. Help me to realize that love, that faith, that joy and that peace that only comes from you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just pray to receive Christ, Really quick, I wanna mention this. Our church loves to give out these one-year New Testaments for people who just prayed to receive Christ. There's tables back here to my left. If you're in the balcony, you can come down here. There's a table over to my right if you pray to receive Christ. The reason we wanna give this to you as a free gift is because we believe with all of our heart, it's, the de- it's one of our deepest convictions, that as you personally read the Word of God, you alone, reading the Word of God, and then again with also other people in a small group, God begins to speak with you, speak to you, show you what His will is, show you what He's like, show you how you need to change. He basically becomes your mentor. Your leader of your life and that only happens when you read this okay so even if you have a bible i would love for you to go grab one of these because it's broken down into daily readings that many of us follow here at the church okay now if you're already a christian you've been a christian for a while you can also get those readings for free on our church app you see that little e there probably can't see it but this is our church app the sermons are there the music is there but there's also the one-year bible right there that you can tap on and you have the day, there's today's readings, Sunday, and you go right there, and that's the same readings that are in the one year New Testament. All of that is free on our church app, so you can follow along there as well. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? <laughs> Does anybody want to rally? Is anybody willing to start praying for the people in their life? Is anybody willing to say, hey, I'm going to church, and who's coming with me? I'm telling you, if we begin to do that, we're going to see our community flipped upside down. What makes a community great, by the way? Can I just ask, this is me venting. This is a whole little side issue here really quick before we go. What makes a community great to live in? What makes a community so so valuable, so excited? You're so excited to live there, and, and you're not fearful of people breaking in, and you're locking all your doors, and, and you're you know always checking over your shoulder. Like, What makes a community like desirable to live in? is good people? Isn't that what it's all about? People that help other people, people that are honest. They don't steal from you. They don't break into your house, right? How do you create people like that? How are people like that created? Zoe life it enters their heart and their hearts are transformed and they become disciples of Jesus, good people that wouldn't steal your stuff or kidnap your child or or lie at work or steal something from the company. They just wouldn't do that because that's not the type of person they are on the inside. How do you create that? Being follower of Jesus Christ. Let's do it. Let's flip our community upside down. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to speak on your behalf. I hope I stewarded it well. Thanks for those who put their faith in you today. Give them the courage to go grab a Bible. God, we would love to see you move upon this church and this community like we've never seen before. Literally thousands of people giving their life to you, overcoming addictions, forgiving the people in their life, having their marriages healed, being reunited with their children, all kinds of miraculous things happening in our community. We know that that's what you want. Help us to fight off the enemy with the truth and realize this abundant life that you've given us. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, next week we are starting a brand new series called Walls. Some walls need to be jumped, some need to be torn down, and some need to be created. So you're not gonna wanna miss this three-week series. Bring your friends who need to hear about Christ. God bless you. We'll see you next week.